I want to take a minute to say hi and welcome to all of you joining us from Calvary Quakertown. It's good to have you with us this morning. This is the third week of our Reality Check series, and the reason for the series should be all around you. We live in a world of fake news, misunderstanding and misinformation, of spin and deceit. Well, how can we cut through all of that spin and find out what's real and what's true? So what we're doing this spring is taking a few weeks to do a reality check or a truth check to kind of see what's real and what's true in the midst of lots of other voices. So far in the series, we looked at Christianity. So what's the reality of Christianity? And we started a couple of weeks ago by saying Christianity is all about being reconnected to God through a substitute. It's not through our doing or our effort. It's through the substitute that God sent, and his name's Jesus. And last week we looked at community, and we said the two irreducible components of community are love and forgiveness. We need to forgive if we're going to live in community because we're always screwing up. And you live in that love and forgiveness relationship, picturing and emulating and living out those principles which flow right from the gospel. Well, this morning we're going to look at purpose. So what's a reality check when it comes to purpose, or if you like the mission word better, when it comes to mission? You know, I'm often amazed that we live in a world in which people will not give you 15 or 20 minutes without knowing the reason behind it. So for example, suppose they were to say to you right after the service, hey, will you do me a big favor? Run over to the Wawa here in Southerton, go inside, stand at the window, don't type in your order, just stand there in front of one of those monitors for a while, and just stand there for like 12, 15 minutes. You would immediately say, well, why? And suppose I were to say, why do you have to know why? I ask you to do me a favor, it's only 15 minutes, what's the big deal? Go in the Wawa, stand at the little monitor, and just wait 15 minutes. My guess is most of you would say, Charles, you're crazy, I'm not doing it. But yet, how many of us live our entire lives without contemplating why? Without trying to figure out purpose or mission behind it? And so we're not talking about a 15-minute segment, we're talking about the entirety of our lives and trying to figure out what the purpose is. Now, just in case some of you are a little confused in the midst of spin and fake news, let me tell you, your purpose in this life is not to experience as much pleasure as possible. I hope you experience some pleasure as you navigate life, but that shouldn't be your purpose. Don't set your sights on that. Your purpose shouldn't be maximum accomplishment. Your purpose shouldn't be maximum accumulation, just to accumulate all that you can. Uh, Kim and I joined uh, some of our relatives yesterday down at my aunt's house in Philadelphia. My aunt passed away on Christmas Eve this past year. And so we had the responsibility yesterday to go down and clean out the house. Have you ever done that? Here's what I kept thinking. Why would you leave all this stuff for me to come and clean out? Why didn't you clean out before you checked out? That would be a plan, wouldn't it? And then I was driving home thinking, you know what? I'm leaving my kids a bunch of crap too. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> but that's not the purpose in life. It's not to accumulate and hoard a bunch of possessions that somebody else has to throw out. Is your purpose in life to see the Phillies win again? You know, another World Series. That'd be good, right? Maybe the Sixers win a championship. Maybe the, fly the Flyers aren't going to be this year, by the way. See the Eagles win another Super Bowl. That'd be good, right? 
But that shouldn't be your purpose. That's not why you're living. It shouldn't be to reduce the size of your waist before beach weather comes. That, maybe you need to do that, but that shouldn't be your primary purpose either. So what is your purpose? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. In the midst of a lot of clutter, in the midst of fake news and misinformation, what's our purpose? What should we be wrapping our lives, our heads and our hearts around and living for? Actually, I started thinking seriously about this about a week ago. Friday, I went to a banquet. I was invited to a crew banquet for the Lehigh Valley crew team. So I'm up there sitting at the banquet, and quite frankly, I didn't want to be there. I'm looking out the window. The weather's nice. We're at a country club. I could be golfing. Instead, I'm sitting here in a banquet listening to people talk. And then the main speaker gets up, and here's what he says. So if crew were a factory, what would be our product? If crew was a tree, what fruit would we produce? So let me ask all of us. If Calvary Church was a factory, what would be our product? If Calvary was a tree, what fruit would we produce? That's a pretty good question, right? And just in case you haven't figured this out, um, Calvary's mission, Calvary's purpose, the fruit, the product, is not to create spectators. It's not to draw a crowd. It's not to create fans. It's not to create critics. Well, what is the purpose? You see, our purpose is kind of what gathers us, and we should regularly be talking about how we're deployed into the world. So let's personalize it. If you were a factory, what would your product be? If you were a tree, what fruit would you be producing? You see, that's the purpose question, and that's what we're going to wrestle with today. Now, the good news is the Bible speaks a lot about purpose and mission, and it does it in a number of different ways, so we're going to do it in two ways. First of all, we're going to look at our purpose in pictures, because the Bible often gives us pictures rather than precept. Now, the Bible does give us precept and tell us, do this, don't do that, but the Bible also gives us pictures And it's in wrestling and figuring out and playing with the pictures that we come to a better understanding of purpose. So let me remind you of two real familiar pictures of what the Bible refer or how the Bible describes our purpose. Here's one. You are the salt of the earth. That's a picture, by the way, right? Now, what does salt do? Salt seasons. Salt makes things taste better. If you don't believe me, Try eating French fries without salt. That's a soggy, greasy mess, right? You put salt on it, it's one of the best food groups there is, right? Onion rings, calamari, French fries, we need salt. Salt seasons, and in the day of Jesus, salt also preserved. So let me ask you, how are you doing at being salt? Bringing out the best in other people. Isn't that what salt does? Salt enhances the flavor. Salt brings out the best. Salt preserves where there would be decay. Are you doing that in your marriage? Are you salt in your marriage? Are you salt in your family? Are you salt in your neighborhood? Are you salt at your workplace? Are you salt in your work team? Are you salt? Do you bring out the best in other people? Or are you more like the critic? That's constantly reminding people when they screw up, but never affirming them when they do well. 
Are you like salt? Seasoning, preserving, bringing out the best in others? Is that you? How are you doing with the salt picture? Uh, Here's the other half of the picture from the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. Two pictures that talk about purpose. We are salt, bringing out the best in others, and we are light, pointing out danger, but also beauty. Now, I've been reminded of this danger and beauty thing uh, because, uh, many of you know, I now have a grandson. He's not quite a year old yet, but uh, I watch his parents and I watch my wife with little Jeffrey, and they're really good at doing the light thing. They're really good at saying, Jeffrey, don't go near the stairs, right? They point out danger. Don't touch that. My wife says, danger, Jeffrey, danger, usually when he's near me. Danger, Jeffrey. (laughs) But it's also, Jeffrey, come here, smell this flower. Jeffrey, touch this velvet, right? Notice light is kind of like that. Light points out the danger, but light also exposes beauty and pleasure. How are you doing at that? Now, here's the problem that many of us have. Christians have notoriously been good at pointing out the danger, condemning, judging, but not very good at pointing out the beauty and saying, but isn't it wonderful? Human beings can create wonderful things because they're made in the image of God. We're only good at half of it, right? So how are you doing with the light piece? Do you live in such a way that, first of all, you stay away from danger and yet you enjoy the beauty? God's given us senses and he wants us to experience the beauty and pleasure of the world. And are you good at lovingly pointing out danger and also pleasure to others? Do you do that with your family? Do you do that at work? Do you do that in your neighborhood? Do you do that with friends? Pictures, what's our purpose? We're to be salt, bringing out the best in others and light, revealing the realities that the Bible speaks to so that we can live in sync with how God designed us to live. Now, some of you are thinking, that's good, Charles. We could be done early. We can't be done early. We're just getting started. That, but that's the picture piece, purpose in pictures. But the Bible also gives us the purpose in parables. Now, we're only going to look at one, so you can do that. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14. And we're going to see a lot of similarities between the pictures and the parable. But it feels a little different. Remember, we're thinking about mission. We're thinking about purpose. And we've looked at the pictures, bringing out the best in others, preserving, pointing out danger, but also enjoying life as God intended it, living in sync with what God desires. And then we've got a parable that also speaks to purpose. So if you have your Bibles, your phone, your iPad, whatever you use, uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. And this parable is called the Great Banquet. So as I read, you kind of hang in there and follow along. And let's see if you can tease out purpose from the parable. Here we go. When one of those at the table heard him, or with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to to try them out. Please excuse me. 
Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered, um, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. That's kind of an interesting story, isn't it? Well, um, let me tell you something that you may not realize. And we don't realize this because we're not nearly as acquainted with the Old Testament as we are with the New Testament. You see, a lot of the things that we read in the New Testament, we think were kind of conceived and came to life in the New Testament, when in actuality, they're, they're in seed form in the Old Testament. The Old Testament talks a lot about this really big banquet. And one of my favorite places is in Isaiah chapter 25. I think we've got the verse here. So here's how Isaiah speaks about this banquet in Isaiah 25. Isaiah writes, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. I don't know about you, but that is a great banquet. There's not a vegetable in sight. <laughs> Do you notice that? I mean, there's no uh, quinoa, there's no broccoli, cauliflower, there's none of that. There's wine and meat. That's it. And it's really good wine, and it's really good meat, and it's a rich feast. That means fat food. There's fat food there. Uh, that's the banquet. Now, Isaiah's original readers would have thought, oh, okay, this is the banquet that God's preparing for us. This is our banquet, right? And we're living out our relationship with God, and God's preparing this awesome banquet for us. And it doesn't take long for them to begin to feel like, and God's preparing us this great banquet because we really deserve it, right? I mean, we're living in this world. We, we put up with a lot of junk following God, right? We don't live according to the current and the system of the world. We're trying to follow God. We're paying a price for that. But at the end, God's preparing this great banquet for us. That would have been in everybody's mind that originally heard Jesus. Now, with that in the back of your mind, think about the parable that Jesus tells. Remember the guy at the table says, Blessed is the one that will eat in the kingdom of God. He's thinking of Isaiah 25. And you notice how many references from Isaiah 25 show up in the New Testament. I mean, Revelation's all over this thing, the banquet. The, the context says there are going to be no more tears there, no more death, the shroud of death's being removed. I mean, this is all over the New Testament, but it's rooted in the Old Testament. But all of the Israelites assumed God's preparing us this awesome banquet because we deserve it. So Jesus says, oh yeah, that, boy, that banquet is going to be something. Let me tell you a story. The owner of this really awesome estate, this huge estate, he's giving a really great banquet. And he sends out the save-the-date cards early, just like we still do today, right? And so the master of the house, right, the owner of the big estate, he would have sent out the save-the-date cards. Yeah, you know, a couple months ahead of time, so you save the date. Well, they really uh, would have, you know, taken out their phones. They would have marked the date in the calendar. But... Then when the date arrived, 
The servant would then send out, or excuse me, the master would send out servants to say, it's all ready now, come and get it. They didn't have watches back then. You couldn't say, oh, come at three o'clock on Saturday. You couldn't do that. So when everything was prepared, the guy giving the banquet would send out the servant saying, everything's ready now, come. But did you notice in the story that Jesus told, when the guy giving the banquet sends out the servants, all those that said they would come, all of those that saved the date, now make excuses. Well, I just bought a field. I have to go check it out. That's it. You couldn't check it out any other day. You got to check it on the afternoon at the banquet. That's kind of weird, right? I just bought some oxen. I need to go try them out. Would you buy a car without taking it for a test, test drive? And the last one is, I got married, so you know I can't come. I've given up joy, right? I got married. <laughs> kind of lousy excuse. Here, here's what the excuses would be like in our day. The banquet's already come to the big banquet that the king's given. Come to the banquet that this owner of this larger state's given. I can't come because the Phillies play this afternoon. Huh. I can't come because I've got to take a nap. I can't come because I've got a busy day tomorrow and I have to prepare for it. I mean, they're lame excuses, right? Well, the excuses that the people that were originally invited give are lame excuses. That's the whole point of the parable. So Jesus says... This owner of this huge estate is giving a banquet and he invited all of the expected people on the list. He, he invited those that own estates. He invited those that had the means to buy oxen. He invited those that are enjoying pleasures in the world. He invites the normal list. Now you have a normal list if you're giving a big party, right? You have to invite the family, right? I, I know you would choose not to, but you have to, right? So you invite the family, you invite close friends, you invite the norm. Well, the first group are the insiders, the normal list. But they come up with dumb excuses. So the master, the guy giving the banquet says, well, forget them. This is still going to be a great banquet. Go invite the outsiders. And did you notice these are all people that would be disqualified from a normal invitation. They have infirmities of one kind or another. They've been, you know, put aside. They live on the fringe. They're not in the center. All the people in the center, they made up excuses to not come. He invites people on the fringe and they come in. But then the, the owner of the estate says, there's still a whole lot of room in here. Go invite the outcasts. Here's the point. Go invite the Gentiles. Those that are on the, live on the wrong side of the tracks, those that are outside the, play, the pale of God's favor, the insiders gave lame excuses. Invite the fringe outsiders, and when a place still isn't full, go invite the outcasts. We want them all to come. Go invite them. Then the master of the banquet says, this party will be filled to overflowing. That's great, isn't it? I remember years ago, reading uh, what Charles Spurgeon said about the parable. And here's what he said. Do you ever go to a banquet or a real fancy dinner, and there are a lot of really rich, snooty, critical, demeaning people there? Here's what the snooty people do at the banquet, right? The, the water glass comes in. I have spots on my water glass. Do you notice there are spots on my water glass? Who cleaned the silverware? They obviously didn't do a good job. Where did they get the people to clean the silver? My did you, the potatoes aren't cooked all the way through. 
right? My meat wasn't bloody enough. My meat was too bloody. They complained at every course. You ever been with a banquet like that? Uh, some of you are those people, by the way, right? They are the critics. They're the judges. They that condemn, they that critique everything at the banquet. Question, if you're giving a really big banquet, maybe you're getting married and you're going to have an awesome reception, one of your kids getting married, you're throwing a 50th anniversary for yourself or for somebody, do you want a lot of those critics showing up there? Do you, don't you just love those people at the party? And then Spurgeon said, but suppose you go out to the homeless folks and their last meal was out of the dumpster and you invite them to come around to the front and go in through the front door and they sit down at the banquet. What do they do when they pick up the water glass? What do they think when they pick up real silverware rather than eat with their hands? What do they do when the meat is served? What do they do when the dessert comes? Those that know they don't deserve the banquet cheer for every course. Those that think they deserve it critique every course. Which one of those camps are you in? Are you more the critic or are you more the celebration person? Do you critique every course or do you celebrate every course? A lot of that depends on what you think you deserve and what you think you don't deserve. Those on the fringe, those that are outsiders and outcasts, they cheer every course because they never expected getting the invitation. That's kind of the point of the parable. Um, did you notice that as rejections come in, the guy giving the banquet responds very differently than we would. Do you notice that? So he sends out the, you know, come and get it to the people that are already RSVP'd, I'll be there. And they now have lame excuses. Does the guy giving the banquet hammer them, critique them, punish them? No. That's what I would do. That, that's what you'd probably do. As the rejections come in, grace gets ratcheted up. Did you notice that? As rejections come in, more grace flows from the guy giving the banquet. And so as the rejections come, he said, well, go to the outsiders now. Then go to the outcasts. Go to, their, go to the far corners of the world. Invite everybody to come. We want this place to be filled to overflowing. As rejections come, grace increases. That's incredible, isn't it? So what are we supposed to do with that? How does that parable help us think through purpose? Well, let me explain. Let me give you some uh, points of uh, application or points that'll help you help you kind of figure out how it works. Those that are invited invite invited people invite people. That's the point. So Jesus is saying, if you've been invited and you're overwhelmed with the invitation, you will become an inviter. You will then in turn invite others. Last week, when we talked about love and forgiveness, what did we say? Forgiven people, forgive people. That's the point. If you know you don't deserve it and you've been forgiven, you forgive people. Blessed people, bless people. Rescued people, rescue people. That's the moral of Christianity. Invited people, invite people. 
Forgiven people, forgive people. Blessed people, bless people. Rescued people, rescue people. When we experience what God has done for us, knowing we don't deserve it, we are then energized to continue what Jesus started by inviting and forgiving and blessing and rescuing other people. That's how it works. And that is how we should live. So what's our purpose? Salt, light, invite. Accept the invitation, extend the invitation. That's purpose. In fact, in that way, your purpose and my purpose is exactly the same. We may do it in different contexts, but our purpose is exactly the same. We've been invited, we need to invite people. We've been forgiven, we need to forgive people. We've been blessed, we need to bless people. We've been rescued, we need to rescue people. That's the point, and that's all of our mission. Isn't that a lot more grandiose and energizing than accumulating stuff that your kids will have to throw out? Isn't that a whole lot more exciting than living to put a few other bullet points on your resume that when you're gone you'll be forgotten anyway? Isn't that more important than building a little kingdom, accumulating things, making a reputation, being, being looked up to or respected in this way or that way? God's called us to something awesome that can change eternity. Well, uh, so what does that mean where the rubber meets the road? What does that mean when it comes right down to how we should live? Well, let me uh, see if we can explain it kind of like this. How can we practice the purpose? How can we practice it? I'm going to give you three D's. So we're going to practice in 3D, right? Kind of like a holographic purpose. Here we go. 3D. Here's the first one. Develop. Develop friendships. Now, I did um, a little bit of uh, research the last couple weeks. And uh, to tell you the truth, I was a little surprised and maybe even shocked. Here's what I've discovered. When people first accept the invitation to the banquet, when people first experience connection and acceptance with God, when people first become Christians, when people first put their faith in Christ, that first year, that first year, on average, they invite 21 people to church, to small group, into their life, to break. 21 people. The first year, 21 people, they invite. Their life's been radically changed, and they just, they're kind of like an invitation machine, right? They're there. Oh, you need to come to my church. You need to be, come to my small group. You need to come to women's Bible study. You need to come to men's group. You need to come, right? And you need to come to breakfast. You need to come to lunch. You need to hear what God's doing. Year one, over 20 invitations. Now, here's the sad part. By the time you get to year eight, on average, zero invitations. In eight years, the typical churchgoer, Christian type, has gone from over 20 invitations to zero invitations. Now, why is that? You know, rather than, you know, kind of critique you all and condemn you all and harangue you all, um, I think I kind of know why. And the reason is, as we grow into our community, our Christian church community, as we grow and get more involved volunteering and doing stuff at church, we wind up disconnecting from people in the larger community, disconnecting from neighbors and coworkers and friends that have a different kind of belief system. And so who are you going to invite? It isn't that we don't want to invite. 
it's, we don't have relationships with anybody we can invite. The people that we know already go. The people that we know already are following Jesus. The people we know are already in. So what's the first thing? Develop friendships. Develop relationships. You know, we're not called to be salt in the little salt shaker. We're called to be salt wherever God sprinkles us. And so where God's put you in a development, in a neighborhood, in your work setting, God's placed you there to season. God's placed you there to preserve. God's placed you there as light and salt. Well, we need to kind of live that out. So develop relationships. Secondly, we need to dispense salt, light, and invite. Or light, salt, invite. Right? Even kind of rhymes, right? What do we dispense? We, we dispense salt. We dispense light. We dispense invitations. Now, here, I got a little warning for you here. Don't be weird. All right? Some of you are naturally weird. I understand that. Um, but don't be weirded out. Develop honest relationships. Most of you are fairly normal, right? You develop relationships by caring about people, asking them to tell their story. You tell them. It's not a weird thing. And dispense invitations. Invitations to coffee, to breakfast, to lunch, to your house, to your small group, to your church. Invite people into your life. That's the point. And so we need to develop friendships so we can be salt and light and, you know, so, and, and invite. And we need to then dispense in those relationships salt and light and how all that stuff works. We need to be dispensing those things. Um, I do have to tell you that uh, we all do a pretty good job of that. Unless you all lied on the last survey. But uh, we, had a survey, you know, we do surveys periodically here at church just to kind of take our spiritual temperature and see how we're kind of living out the things uh, that we think are pretty important. And uh, like 98% of you said, Calvary Church is a church that I feel good about inviting people to. That, that's a good thing, right? I don't, I don't know what the other 2% of you are, um, but 98%, yeah, we invite. Now, a little over 60%, like 61% said, um, and we invite people throughout the year. And that, that, that's a real high number based on the 0% after eight years. But 61 are we dispensing light and salt and invitations? That's kind of the point. And lastly, dare. Dare to take a risk. Now look, I'm not sure what that risk is for you. You need to dare to take a risk. As I watch people, um, and I watch you guys, right, in the atrium, uh, you know, walking down a thing, into the parking lot. Here's what I've discovered. People are like bumper cars. You like bumper cars kind of at the carnival, down the shore, right? It's shore season again, right? You go on the pier, right? And you ever notice when you get in a bumper car, the steering wheels never work? I, I think they're designed that way. Like you turn and turn and turn, you barely move, and then it goes the other way. It's kind of a weirded out steering wheel thing. But there are two different kinds of people that ride the bumper cars. Have you noticed this? The one group of people sees it as their mission to bump as many as hard as they can, right? And you know who you are, right? The other group takes it as, as a challenge to not be bumped or bump anyone during the whole course of the ride. So they kind of stay clear, right? See somebody coming, they go over here, you can't steer it well, but you're kind of avoiding everybody. That's how you all are in the atrium and in the parking lot, right? Some of you are attack, bump everybody kind of bumper cars. You're over here, you're over there. All of our section leaders, they're kind of like bumper car people, right? They're bumping everybody. That's why we made them section leaders, right? Because they interact, they get to know people. Others of you are the avoider kind of people. And to tell you the truth, I love you introverts because you don't bother me nearly as much as the extroverts do. 
But we all have the same responsibility to develop, dispense, and dare to take a risk. Now, I'm not sure what the risk is for you, but I do know that this is what we're called to as our purpose. We're called to develop ultimately our relationship with God through Jesus and develop relationships with other people so that we can dispense seasoning and light and preservation and dare to take a risk, not a weirded out risk, a normal, appropriate kind of risk. So here's our challenge in this reality check series. I'm not sure what you were thinking your mission or purpose is when you came in, but I hope you had a little bit of a tweak in what that purpose really is. A billion years from today, it's not going to matter a whole lot what you drove, where you live, what you accumulate. None of that's going to matter. But whether you develop, dispense, and dared, those things will live forever with you. That's a purpose that you can wrap your heart and life around. So before you leave, I had a little bit of an assignment. I know many of you don't use pens and paper anymore. Um, but either on your phone, in that little reminder section, or on a piece of paper, if you still know how to work a pen, or on your iPad, whatever, I want you to start a list. Start a list of people that you would like to or have begun developing a relationship with. I want you to keep a little list. And then I want you to regularly remind yourself, you know, I'm, I'm going to try, try real hard to do this too. Every day, I'm going to get up. The first thing I'm going to try to do, I'm going to figure a way to remind myself. And I'm going to say, okay, Charles, how can you dispense salt, light, and invitation today? How can I do that? Especially with those on the list, but to everybody we come across. And I want you to wrestle with what risks you may need to take over this next season. I don't know if you're like me. You kind of break down your, you know, the year into seasons. Well, this season will end as we're coming up on, you know, summer. As summer I'm, I'm ready for it now, but it's not here yet. And then you've got the season of September and the season of Christmas is going to be here. So we, we need lists, people that we're loving and serving, not in some weird way, no relationship with a hook in it. We're just developing friendships with people, trying to be salt, light, and invite. That's what we're about. And we're dispensing those things and we're daring to go the next step. A couple questions. Number one, do the people you work with know what you do on Sunday mornings? Do they know? That may be the risk you need to take. Somehow, in some non-weirded-out, judgmental way. Do the people in your community know what you really believe? Do the people that you know, or that you interact with, know that you perceive life and reality a little different than they do? Maybe our risks are going to be in one of those areas where we're taking further steps in reality and truth, seeking to help other people take those same steps after us. Reality check. Purpose. What are you going to live for? What are you living for? Is there a difference between the two? What adjustments need to be made? Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you thanks for bringing us together today. Thank you for all the young lives that we saw on the platform and all the others in the videos that will be dedicated next service and at Quakertown today. Lord, thank you for the things that we're, you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the reality of the gospel. The truth that we're reconnected with you through the work of a substitute. And thank you that you've loved us and forgiven us. 
And now you want us to love and serve and forgive others. And Lord, thanks for giving us a purpose, not just for today or this life, but forever and ever. And Lord, help us to be salt, to be light, and to invite appropriately, lovingly, as we continue what Jesus started. We pray in his name. Amen.